We're starting something new today, and uh, I'm excited because, because uh, we spend a lot of time throughout the year opening this thing up, okay? This is called a Bible, and we, uh, on Sundays, we open this up, and it's important that, we, uh, that we, we take a passage of Scripture and we just let it speak to us, and usually our tradition at our church the last couple of years, we take a few Sundays in January and remind ourselves about why this is important. Um, to, uh, to the life of our church and why we can trust it. Uh, so I'm going to invite my wife, Christy, up. She's going to read the scripture that uh, is going to sort of drive our conversation today, and, uh, and we'll get to it. Christy, thank you very, very much. Today's scripture comes from the second letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. You, ha- however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word. That's uh, Paul giving Timothy some encouragement in the New Testament. And uh, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the home I grew up in. I grew up in a really, really great home. And my, uh, my family, I grew up in a home that had a very strong appreciation for the Bible. And I am really, really grateful for that. Really, really grateful. Um, I grew up in a pretty, uh, a home that was pretty, pretty steeped in sort of Christian culture at the time. Um, there's this, there's like church culture that, uh, that my church was, was a part of. And so we kind of had like all of our stuff. We had songs even about the Bible. Maybe you sang some of these. We used to sing this one that went, the B-I-B. Yes, that's the. Yeah, see, I stand alone on the word of God. All right, there you go. See, some of you guys know that one. Now, now, even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have heard this one. It goes like this. Jesus loves me, this sign. And then, for the... See, you guys know that one, all right? We had, and we even took it a step further. Um, in the home I grew up in, we even had a, a superhero character that was all about the Bible, and his name was Salty. Does anyone remember Salty? So, some, hey, some of you are like grew up in, oh, you're excited about Salty. Don't get too excited because Salty is a little creepy, all right? Just, I just got to show you, here's, here's one picture of Salty. This is a real thing. And then just to show you how like far it went, there was, there was like, uh, you know, there was, there was a, uh, like TV shows, and there's Salty right there, which, which looks super creepy, all right? Don't get near that guy. Um, we, had our own, we had our own superhero that had to do with the Bible, um, and, uh, and we had like, you know, Bible memorization, you know, like challenges and stuff, and I am super, super, super grateful uh, to be able to grow up in an environment like that, for sure. Um, and since at our church we think that the Bible is such a big deal, like I said, we're going to spend a few weeks just sort of talking about it. And the reason, the reason oh, by the way, you don't want to miss next week, by the way, too, because we're going to have a special guest up here. We're going to do a little interview style thing. I don't want you to miss it. I'm so excited about it. For, for months I've been excited about next Sunday. Uh, you don't want to miss. Um, 
Um, but um, um, did I say something weird? Okay. No, it's not salty, or I would not do that to you, all right? Um, uh, you're going to scare the children. Um, the reason why we're talking about this is we come from all sorts of different places when it comes to the Bible. Um, I do not want to make the assumption that, the, uh, which often happens in, in church often, is we assume that people know more about the Bible than they actually do. Um, so we're coming from all sorts of different places, and this is just a short list, but you know, for some of us, um, the Bible is completely unfamiliar to you. It's just brand new to you. If that's where you are, I, I want you to know you are in the right church. You're at the right place, okay? Because one, one, uh, uh, one of my big goals is that when we gather, when we preach, that I don't just sort of assume that you know. So you'll notice, I mean, because this, this is just an intentional thing that we do. If I say, hey, um, I want to introduce you to this guy named Abraham, and this is what Abraham said, and I just start talking to you about Abraham, I'm going to take a moment and explain to you who Abraham is. Um, and because, because I can't assume that you know who that is. One time I spoke on it, about Abraham, and after church, somebody came up to me, and they were like, man, I didn't know Abraham Lincoln was in the Bible. That was really crazy. And I was like, oh, I should, I should have provided some context uh, for that conversation. Um, but if, uh, if you're new to the Bible, this is in the right place. I've got some dear friends, Mal and Ty, and they were at a church one time, and they were, sort of, they, were, they were sort of newer at the church, and during the, the forced fellowship time, you know, remember that time we just had, they, they turned around to the old gentleman, older gentleman that was in the back, and they turned, and the older gentleman saw that Ty had a Bible, and the old gentleman said, hey, I see you have a Bible here. And he was like, yeah, yes, sir. He goes, do you read it? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I do, I try. He goes, I want you to tell me all the books in the Bible. Name them all. And Ty was like, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And that's as far as he could get. He was on the spot, right? He was like, he was super nervous. And he said, oh, I don't know if I can say them all. And then the old man just started railing on him that, hey, you're carrying a Bible, but you don't know all the books of the Bible. You should be ashamed of yourself. And Ty was like, well, you should be ashamed of yourself, you jerk, you know, right? Um, and uh, that was the experience they had, a horrible experience. We we're never going to be that kind of church. If you're new to the Bible, if it's unfamiliar to you, you're in the right place. Um, maybe you grew up with a Bible and you appreciated some of those stories, but then maybe when you got to, to, to college, to high school perhaps, or maybe even middle school, um, you started reading some of those stories and you were like, wait a minute, like, I don't know, like, Jonah, can he really be in the... And you start asking questions, and you're like, man, and maybe some of those questions caused you to just sort of, just sort of jettison the whole idea and the whole thing. Maybe you took a class in, in college, and they said you can't believe any of it, and so you just pushed it away. Perhaps that's your story. Uh, maybe you're here, and you feel like you know everything there is to know about the Bible, and so you're already, like, sitting there thinking, like, oh, I've heard this sermon before. I already know what he's going to talk about. Well, God bless you. We're glad you're here. Um, I hope that we can be the kind of church where, where we're, we approach the Bible with some humility and say, man, ah, there's so much to learn. There's so much we don't know. Maybe you find yourself there. Um, I realize there's a lot of guilt that comes around this, this topic because whenever the pastor starts talking about the Bible, and if you've been a Christian for a while, there's usually this sort of lingering guilt that sometimes people feel like, oh, it's like working out. You know, it's the same sort of feeling that we have about working out. It's like, oh, I should have done that. I should do that. But it's been busy. And it's kind of like, like a little bit like a relationship you have with an ex. You know, it's like you got together, you broke up again. You got together, you broke up again. It was hot and then it was cold. And then you're looking at your, you know, you're looking at your Bible and you're like, say something, I'm giving up on you. 
You know, and it's just sort of like this breakup thing that happens left and right. And maybe that's, it's been just hot and cold for you. I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe you're here and you've, you're, you're certainly just super skeptical of the whole thing. You're just skeptical. You open this up and you see fairy tales. You, you see, you know, like copies made of copies made of copies. And you've heard that it was just sort of like all translated weird. Or maybe, you know, or, or you look at this and you see like a group of males in particular getting together in that first century saying like, hey, let's make up some cool stuff, you know, that makes us be in charge. And so, you, you know, you're really skeptical of the whole thing. Uh, maybe that's where you find yourself today. Uh, or maybe you are, you're, you, maybe you're in a place where you appreciate the Bible, but you just find it just really hard to chew. It's just really difficult to chew. Um, I had a great family over to, to our house in the church. Um, we, uh, we had Joel and Veronica and Daisy and Josiah over, and we made them, we made them this uh, carne asada. And um, love carne asada. We cooked it a little bit too long. And when I say we cooked it a little bit too long, we cooked it about like like double too long, you know, because the worst thing is having guests over and you send them home with some sort of sickness, you know, from the, the meat you didn't cook all the way. And so we overcooked it. And so we're sitting there at the meal and, and, there, and we're chewing it. And I could tell from the first bite, like, it's just, this is not good. I mean, we're just chewing and chewing and chewing and bless their hearts they were so kind I was like so sorry we kind of cooked the meat too long and the kids are like no no it's good it's good you know and I'm like oh you're lying to me don't lie to the pastor I know it's horrible maybe that's how you feel about the Bible you just like you just try to get in here and it just feels like you're just chewing on something it's just really really hard I hope I hope today and next week are just helpful for us. We're going to sort of take a, take a big picture, just kind of look, look back. Because here's some of my convictions when it comes to the Bible is while many people know some Bible stories, very few people know the story of the Bible. Isn't that true? We, you know some Bible stories, but maybe you don't know the story of the Bible. And that's a problem because if you don't know, if you don't know the story of the Bible, then it's really easy to dismiss Bible stories. And that's what happens often is people dismiss these Bible stories because there's just sort of a lack of understanding what the story of the Bible is. And my conviction is if, if we can understand what the story of the Bible is, and not just the stories in the Bible, but the story about how we got our Bible. Um, because, see, your Bible came to you in a different way than the Bible came to the world. Your Bible came to you like on the, store of, or on the shelf of a store or Amazon sent it to you in your house and you opened it up and it was all put together. But this is not how the world got the Bible. There's a really beautiful story about why we even have these things in our hands today. And my conviction is if we could understand some of those things, man, we would, it would grow our appreciation for the Bible. And perhaps it would cause us to re-engage with the Bible that maybe we've tried to engage with for a long time. And that's my goal for these next two weeks. If I could just show you my cards, my, I just want us to re-engage. I don't know what, what you're, where you're at in your story. Maybe you need to, maybe I, I want to encourage you to engage for the first time perhaps. Or maybe you've tried the Bible and you've just sort of said, ah, oh, it's too hard. I want you to re-engage. I hope I can do that um, with you today. Uh, today's might feel a little bit academic um, because, because many of you are, were taught or told that, uh, you know, maybe you grew up in a home that said, that said um, you know, the Bible, yep, it, it means what it says and it says what it means, you know. Or maybe you were taught that, you know, the Bible is, uh, you know, it's, 
it's uh, true and true all the way through. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of Bible thing, like phrases that we use when it comes to the Bible. And I believe that. That's true. But sometimes when we're raised on just some pithy statements about, you know, that says it, that settles it, you know. Then when somebody comes to you and says, hey, can you, man, this is confusing. It says this in the Old Testament, and then it says this in the New Testament. It seems like there's inconsistencies or, you know, what's going on. And then maybe you, maybe you have no idea how to answer that person. And all you have in your arsenal is, well, it says it, so I believe it, you know. And that's all you got. And can I tell you, that's not enough. That's not enough in our culture today. When people have real questions about the Bible, when people are wrestling with, this, with real stuff in here, it's not enough for us to just say, well, you know, it just it means what it says, says what it means. Just, just read it. No, it's, it's deeper than that. We've we got to be able to help people. And, uh, and so I hope that I can be a help to you. Uh, and so this might feel a little bit academic, but listen, this is a little bit like, a, like an intro to the Bible class. And there's a lot of people that spend 10 weeks and five grand to take the same class that I'm going to do with you in the next 20 minutes. All right. So I think it's a really, really good deal. Amen. All right. Good deal. Uh, so, uh, so a couple of things. First of all, just, just, just bottom, bottom level w- w- with the Bible. Here's what you got to know is Jesus didn't write the Bible. He didn't write the Bible, okay? In fact, Jesus, we don't have a record of him writing anything. In fact, there's one place in the Bible where Jesus is recorded of writing something, and he's writing something into the ground. And even if you look in your Bible, that section in your New Testament has a note on it that says, hey, this little section of Scripture might not have been included in some of the earliest documents. So we've got Bibles that let us know if there's some, even a couple different passages that might not be, you know, might have gotten perhaps added later. And that part where Jesus writes something in the ground is in that section. Jesus didn't write the Bible. And that's a surprise to a lot of people because we picture that, you know, Jesus came to the earth and he sat down and he wrote this and he gave it to us. But that's, the, the Bible is actually much more, much more diverse, much more interesting, um, and much more complicated than that. Um, the Bible didn't come to us by, you know, like God sending uh, golden tablets down, you know, invisible golden tablets where you can only read with certain glasses or wearing a certain top hat. Um, that's another religion, okay? <laughs> that's, those, that's the Mormons, okay? So that's, uh, that's not how we got our scriptures, okay? It's way, way different. Here's how we got the Bible. Big picture, okay, you know, and I told you it's big picture, is the Bible starts, so Genesis 1, God creates everything. He creates humanity, and he says, I, I'm going to give you a good world. Here's just one thing. I need you to trust me. I just need you to trust me that I can define good and evil for, for, for you and that you aren't able to do that perfectly for yourself. But Adam and Eve at the beginning, our representatives, they said, just like our hearts still say today, you know what, God, we feel like we can do a good job of defining right and wrong for ourselves. And so they sort of took that fruit and ate it. And that was like really symbolic of saying, God, no, we're going to be in charge. And so at that point, the world gets, gets broken and tattered. And this is just where sin enters into the world, this rebelliousness in our hearts against this God. But God's not done. There's consequences, but he's got a plan. And what he's going to do is he's going to raise up a people amongst all the people of the world. He's going to raise up a people and say, I want you to be my special people. I'm going to reveal myself to you in a special way. I'm going to be your king in a special way. I want you to march around this earth in a, in a special, unique way where the rest of the nations are going to see what I'm doing in you and it's going to be the way that I'm going to redeem the world and that's where the Israelites came in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and those stories in the Old Testament are telling us those stories about God working with them and they were knuckleheads so much of the time and that's why when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament you see yourself in them 
because you can, you can just you know, see the, the pride and the rebelliousness and you know, the, the human relationships that are broken and tattered, but God's got a plan. And then the Old Testament ends on a cliffhanger. It ends with this promise that someone's going to come and make it all right again. Somebody's going to come and do the thing that needs done for us, the thing that we couldn't do ourselves. And it ends on a cliffhanger. And then Jesus shows up several centuries later, and Jesus makes this claim. He says, I'm the one. I'm the one that all those scriptures are pointing to. Here I am. I am going to take the story forward. And Jesus takes the story forward. And they, don't think, they think he's the new king, and he is the new king, but he does this crazy thing. He dies on the cross for our sins. They are shattered men and women. They can't imagine that, that their king would die on a cross. But then three days later, they see him alive again and starts a revolution. The ancient world changed overnight because people were walking around Jerusalem saying, I saw Jesus alive. And that was the beginning of the Christian movement. Now these, many of them Jews, now become Christians. Now they're reaching out to these Gentiles. The Gentiles are the non-Jews. And now suddenly the world is getting a taste of this Jesus is truly, he's, he's God. And here's what he did for us on the cross. And he rose again. And the news spreads and spreads. And churches get started. And so these apostles, these eyewitnesses of Jesus, they start writing letters. Paul in particular, um, this, this apostle Paul writes these letters to these churches and sends those letters out. And eventually, after centuries, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, after a few centuries, those letters and those ancient writings from the Old Testament, they get put together and they get put into this for us today. Woo! That's like, I just, look what I just did right there. I just told you the story. Okay, now let me give you, let me give you an illustration. Let me show you some of these books. Now, these, these books that we have in the Bible, they're written over about a, a, a thousand or fifteen hundred year period by 44 different authors which is incredible, and they all get compiled, and it goes into the Old Testament and the New Testament. So this is a list of the Old Testament books and the New Testament books. There's 66 of them in total. Um, it's a kind of strange, you know, we, we call it Old Testament, New Testament, but it's, we, I, I don't like calling it the Old Testament because Old Testament makes it sound like it's, it's old, you know, like it's like, uh, we've got the new, so we don't need the old. Um, so they didn't really call it the Old Testament. They called it something different. They called it the law and the prophets. That's what they called it. It was the giving of, you know, God is telling the story in the law. And here's, here's uh, some of the books in the Bible. So we've got Genesis, these first five books. It's called the Pentateuch. And it tells the story of this early, you know, the Adam and Eve at the very beginning. But then the, the early uh, followers of 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 God, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and God's going to say, God's going to create this new family, and he's going to give them some rules to live by, but these rules aren't rules that's given to them just so they can become perfect, because the point of the rules is that it's supposed to help them see that they can't be perfect, that they can't follow them all, and it's supposed to point them to some sort of redemption outside of just following rules. And then it goes on, and you know, some of these, these next books are, are a lot of different great stories about some of these early, early, you know, this, the family of God, the Israelites, and them marching through the land. And then, and then uh, Job and Psalm Proverbs, these are wisdom books, so these are very poetic books. Um, very, uh, very metaphorical sort of books, really beautiful. Um, and then we've got the prophets here. So these are people who were sent into the context of Jerusalem to encourage, to call them back. They're, like I said, so many times they were just knuckleheads and they're like, you know, w wanting to do their own thing. And so God would send these prophets into the midst to say, hey, guys, come back, come back. God is, God is waiting for you. He wants you to return to him. 
And then it ends with a cliffhanger. And then something happens right in between. Jesus shows up. Everything changes. Now it's a new paradigm. And so now we have the New Testament. And the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called the Gospels. The Gospel means good news. And it's the eyewitness accounts of Jesus and what he did and and what he said and what he taught and what he did. And then next we have the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is this historical, historical account of the early church and where they spread to and what they did. And Paul, the Apostle Paul is a really kind of a central figure in the book of Acts because he's this missionary that's going out planting churches. And then um, this whole next section of the New Testament are these letters. These letters that were written to churches, written to people just like you and me. Encouraging, equipping, reminding, training, instructing, rebuking in some cases. And then the New Testament ends with this wacky, wild book, Revelation, which is just so hard to to explain and describe, but it's this sort of like apocalyptic sort of literature, this sort of, you know, it's not necessarily always future telling. It's this like, it's sort of another way to tell the story, and it's a really difficult book sometimes uh, for many. Um, That is what comes to us in the Bible, the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, and the New Testament. And here's what's crazy about it. All of those are put together and all of them are united together to point us and lead us to Jesus. The fact that all those books spanning all those centuries can come together and it tells a unified story that's designed to lead our hearts to Jesus is tremendous. And if you miss that fact, and I'll get to this at the end, but if you think that the Bible is all about you, you're going to run into some trouble. But if you realize that the story and that the Bible is all about him, and when we find out who he is, then we find out who we are, that might perhaps make the difference on getting you back and reengaged with the Bible. Okay, so four things. Um, things to consider, common questions, helpful tips. Why does it matter? All right? Here we go. I got this. Things to consider. First, consider its impact on the world. You just got to consider the impact on the world. Even if you're a skeptic, Every skeptic, every historian says, there is something unique about this book. Its impact on our world is unmatched. This is a book that even still today is outlawed in many countries. It's a book today that people want so badly that they will have bits and pieces of it and they'll come together in communities and say, oh, you've got a little piece of the book of John. I've got another little piece of the book of John and then they'll put it together and they'll study it and memorize it and that's still happening today and that's happened throughout the centuries. The impact of this book is unparalleled. It's been translated into more languages than any book in the world. It's been printed more than any book in the world. Its impact today has not diminished. Its impact continues to roll on that. Even if you're a skeptic, you have to step back and say, there's something about that that is unique. It's unlike other books. Next is consider its claims. The Bible makes some unique claims about itself, and it makes a couple claims. A couple of claims are this. First, the Bible says that it's alive, that it's alive. There's a lot of really great books out there. There's a lot of classics, right? Uh, I just read the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy and The Hobbit to my son Jeremiah a couple years ago. So fun. Classics. You remember that book, Where the Red Fern Grows? Anybody remember that one? Classic. I just made some people cry just now. I saw some tears. Yeah. Classic books. Now, the reason why this book is different is because this isn't just a classic. See, those books are classics, but they don't make the same claim that the Bible makes. The Bible makes this unique claim that it's alive, that it's not wooden, that it's not, a, it's not just a textbook. See, you can master a textbook. 
You know, you can read a novel and say, oh yeah, I read that one. But the Bible isn't the kind of book where you say, oh, the Bible, oh, I read that last year. Yeah, I got that. No, no, no. The Bible makes this claim that it's alive. And you've heard me use this illustration before, but I think it's the best one. The Bible is like the ocean. You can't tame the ocean. We've tried. The ocean is beautiful. The ocean is wonderful. The ocean is still mysterious. There's still parts of it we have not explored yet. We're still discovering new things in it. And the, Bible's, and, and the ocean's moving. You jump in and it spits you back out again just so you can dive back into it again. And the Bible is a little bit like that. It's alive. In some ways, the Bible's reading you as much as you are reading it. Another claim that the Bible makes about itself is, uh, is that it illuminates. It illuminates. Um, the, the crazy thing about this, about this book is you open it up, you, start, you read stories, and suddenly you're, you're seeing yourself. Suddenly you're confronted with things, and, and you start thinking about it, and you have these moments where then suddenly you, you, you see some things that you didn't see about your own heart before. It reveals this, it reveals kind of what's going on in the world. It reveals like how you're chasing after money. And then you read this and you realize that, man, money is not going to get me what I think it's going to give me. Or you read some stuff in here about lying and then you realize like, man, I get really angry when people lie to me out there. But really, I realize that nobody's lied to me more than I have. And we realize that we are experts at self-justification. I can justify any behavior at all. Are anybody else really good at that like I am? We're human beings. We are so good at justifying every behavior, of justifying things and putting things in just the right light so that I come out smelling like a rose and I'm the good one and they're the bad ones and all that. We are so good at that. And the Bible just cuts right through that. And I use the word cut because that's my next point. The other thing that the Bible says about itself is that it's sharp. It's sharp. It uses the, the, the language of sword. It's, it's, the, it's a sword. Now, um, unfortunately, the Bible's been used as a sword throughout history, uh, but not in a good way, um, in a destructive way. The Bible's been used as, hey, look at this book, and this book is anti-you, and so we're going to use the sword, hi-ya, you know? We're just going to, like, this people group and this people group, the Bible's been used like that over centuries. The Bible gets used like that in relationships today. Husbands and wives and marriages, we read it, and we're like, oh, my wife should read this verse. Oh, yeah. Here, wife. Hiya! You know, we're like using it on other people. Kids, look, you know, obey your parents. See, it's right there. You know, we love to use it on other people. But what we miss often is that when the Bible says it's a sword, I love this. I, I find it so helpful. It says that it's a double-edged sword. You know why I love it? It's because it cuts both ways. It's supposed to cut both ways. In fact, if you don't let it cut both ways, and if it only cuts this way, then you're reading it wrong. Then you're interacting with it with with it wrong because it's supposed to cut this way in fact it's supposed to cut this way first we read it and we get transformed we don't use it to you know to make everybody else you know come in line with it no no no. we read it so that we can apply it and when it happens that way it's so much better and it's sharp it cuts peter in the new in the book of acts he preaches a sermon and it says that they were cut to the heart they heard his words and they were cut to the heart and they said what, what must we do to have this, to have, to have life and life to the full. And he tells them, and the Bible will do that. It makes these incredible claims about itself. Here's some common questions. Common questions would be, um, um, what do you do with the disturbing parts? What do you do with the disturbing parts? You open up this Bible, especially sometimes you get to some of the stuff in the Old Testament and you come up with some, you come, you know, bump up into some things which are disturbing. Now, what you gotta know is 
in a way, that's one of the many pieces of evidence that we can trust it. Because if you have a Bible that never disagrees with you, then you actually have something of your own making. It isn't actually real. You know what I mean? Like if you've got, you got a marriage or if you've got a spouse that never disagrees with you, then you don't really have a real relationship, do you? Because in a real relationship, there's give and take, there's confrontation, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's two voices. And so the fact that we bump into stuff that that's, can be sort of disturbing to our culture is actually one of the evidences that, man, this is, this is actually saying something. It isn't just agreeing with everything we already believe. Um, but, uh, you know, what do you do with some of the disturbing parts? And there are some. You know, there's some big questions. I've been doing this a long time, and I'm still coming to the Bible sometimes and saying, man, what, what, what do I do with this? Man, I, I need to read more on this. I, I don't know how to explain this to someone because I don't even I don't even understand it from my own heart. So I'm always bumping into stuff like that. But here's some help, okay? Here's some help. What you got to realize when you read the Bible is there are some things that are prescriptive and some things that are descriptive. Some things that are prescriptive and some things that are descriptive. This might be really helpful because sometimes you're reading here and, you know, there's some parts that you'll bump into that are prescriptive, meaning they're prescribed for them and for us, that there is something that we're supposed to do. But then you bump into other things that they're not prescriptive, they're descriptive. They're just describing what happened, not what should always happen. Does that make sense? And so I'm unveiling to you just one of the big challenges in biblical scholarship. This is the challenge. And there's actually some, like, some big words for it. The, the first one is this. Is the, the trick is when you, gotta, you read the Bible and you've got to read it in the lens of then and there and then. Okay, then and there and then. What was their context? What were they dealing with? What was God telling them specifically? What were their challenges? That's the, the word that we use for that is the word exegesis. When you read the Bible, you've got to do some exegesis. You've got to think then, there, then. What was God doing there? And then, after that, then you take the next step and you go to, this, to the next question of here and now and us. And that's called hermeneutics. Exegesis happens first and then hermeneutics, meaning what was God doing then? And then, but what does that mean now for us, for our time, for our culture? These open up some really big questions and some disagreements within Christianity about how we read the scriptures and how we apply it today um, and really good conversations. But remember, please consider this. Consider that you might be disturbed by something in the Bible that, that the Bible doesn't actually teach. This is important that you get this. So many people in our culture are disturbed by some things that they read in the Bible and sometimes, in fact, I would probably say more often than not, people are think they're disturbed by something in the Bible that isn't actually in the Bible or isn't actually what the Bible teaches. And I hear this all the time. You know, I'm, I'm on a couple college campuses and, you know, and I love ministering in a college town. So college age people are like my people. And usually in college age, you're starting to ask these big questions and you'll bump up against people that are like, hey, isn't the Bible, I heard the Bible's anti-women. Isn't the Bible like anti-women? It's like, you know, male dominated, anti-women. And what you got to know is, no. The Bible, out of, all, of any ancient document, elevated the position of, of women. And that day, what it has to say in there was revolutionary. Revolutionary. And still is revolutionary today. Um, I heard that the Bible was anti-sex. Isn't the Bible anti-sex? I've heard that. No. No, no, no. The Bible is not anti-sex. Um, 
You know, I heard that the Bible was anti-fun. Is that true? No, the Israelites know how to party, let me tell you. All right, when they party, they party. No, the Bible is not anti-fun. Um, doesn't the Bible like make people arrogant when they read it? No, it means you're reading it wrong. In fact, if you're reading it right, the Bible will make you profoundly humble. Um, one example that I love to use because it's just like a perfect example is um, sometimes people read the Bible, they read the Old Testament, and they say, look at this, there's polygamy in the Old Testament. The Bible is teaching polygamy. Like all these people, all these heroes, you know, like Solomon, he had all these wives, and you know, and Abraham had multiple wives, and all these people had multiple wives. And you're telling me that like, that we can trust this thing when it's saying that polygamy is fine? And people walk away from the Bible thinking some of those things, but here's what you got to know, is when you read the narrative of the story, polygamy doesn't work out for anyone in the Bible. In fact, here, you can just memorize this little phrase, okay, this little, this, this little, um, this little rhyme. Um, if you have a favorite wife, you will not have a happy life, all right? Say it with me. If you have a favorite wife, you will not have a happy life, okay? That's the narrative of the Bible. At every point, people with multiple spouses, multiple wives, it is not working out well for them. And really, the message of the scripture is that God is, is, is undercutting those things. He's trying to show us that that's not a good system. That's not a good plan. And so you can see how you can read something and assume that the Bible teaches it and then walk away and push it away like, oh, it's just so old-fashioned, when really you're not understanding exactly what the Bible teaches. And there's a lot more examples of that, but we got to move on. Another question is, can you, take, can you really take the Bible literally? I mean, can, come on. Can you really take the Bible literally? Here's my answer to that. My answer is yes. Yes, absolutely yes. Some parts are literally eyewitness accounts, and some parts are literally metaphor, and some parts are literally apocalyptic in nature, and some parts are wisdom books, you know, like Proverbs, and some parts are there. You have to take into account the genre. Can you take the Bible literally? Yes. Depending on the genre that you're reading in the, old, in, in the Bible, yes, you, are, you take it literally. So when it comes to the New Testament, for example, the, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are given to us as eyewitness accounts, meaning that we are supposed to read them as eyewitness accounts, Okay. And then you get to the book of Revelation later, later on, and you're like, whoa, this is in a different category right now. <laughs> I mean, now you just realize I'm reading something different here, and you have to apply it different. You have to ask different questions of it. Um, yes, we can take the Bible literally. Um, what do you do, which is the last question I've got, what do you do with the inconsistent parts? What am I supposed to do when I come up with inconsistencies? Now, when people ask me that question, I, I usually, I try not to be like cheeky, but I usually ask, hey, tell me, what inconsistency are you talking about? Can you show me? And usually it's like, uh, there's like that one part I know there is, right? Or like I saw that History Channel show and it said that there was a lot, you know? And so, so a lot of times people don't really quite know what inconsistencies there might be. But eventually, sometimes you'll get somebody who says, yeah, I've got a couple examples, show me. And, uh, you know, you've got to listen to those questions. You've got to wade in. I'm like, man, I don't know. But I found this to be helpful. Is what, here's, here's a good principle. Is God, God, when it comes to the scriptures, God accommodates for our capacity. He accommodates for our capacity. So, for instance, if you have a five-year-old and a 14-year-old and a 23-year-old pre-med student, and they all ask the same question, where do babies come from? 
You are going to answer the question differently for the five-year-old than you are for the 14-year-old. And you're going to answer the question differently for the 23-year-old pre-med student, right? And nobody's lying. Nobody's telling untruths. But you accommodate for the capacity of the listener, of the hearer. And so, you know, you, so there's different audiences. And sometimes you'll read in, you know, Matthew or Mark or Luke. And they have different accounts. And it's like, wait a minute. It says that they went to the boat. But then this one, it says that they were on the beach. And wait a minute, there's an inconsistency. But you got to realize, you got to realize they're, they're, they're telling these stories. They're talking to different audiences. And it's amazing the harmony that comes together through all these stories. Um, just something to think about. Here's some helpful tips. Helpful tips. Um, I said at the beginning, I'll say it again. Remember that it's primarily about him and not about us. It's primarily about Jesus. It's designed to lead us to Jesus. It's not primarily about us. If you read the Bible on what things do I have to do to be good enough, um, what, you know, what knowledge do I need to gain in order to be smart enough, um, you're always going to feel like the Bible is crushing you and not helping you. But when you realize that the Bible is designed to point our hearts to Jesus and point us to the grace that he gives us, suddenly it opens up brand new worlds for you. If you read the Bible and you think it's all about you, what you'll have a tendency to do is read the Bible and treat it like a, uh, a magic eight ball. Do you remember those? Remember the magic eight balls? You like took it and you're like, am I going to go out on a date tonight? Most likely so, Right? And so, so many people treat their Bible like that. If you think it's all about you, then you'll have a tendency, you know, to like, you know, all right, should I marry her? All right, should I marry her? First uh, Corinthians seven twenty-eight. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Oh man. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, should I go to that frat party? Should I go to the frat party? Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Habakkuk 2.16, drink and let your nakedness be exposed. Oh, oh. How about, uh, should I send our kids to Bethel or 4J? Should I send our kids to Bethel or 4J? We'll see. Uh, uh, Amos 4.4, go to Bethel and sin. (laughs) It's in there. Uh, Okay, Bible, what's most important in life? Most important in life, tell me. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10:19. A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Oh, so these are real verses, guys. I'm not making this up. Um, uh, is it okay to smoke pot? Is it okay to smoke pot? Well, okay. I heard some oohs and ahs. People are like, where's he going with this? Uh, is it okay to smoke pot? Uh, Genesis 1:29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb that is on the face of the earth. Ah! Oh. Great. Everybody in Eugene's favorite Bible verse right there. Genesis 129. Uh, should it be a chest, shoulder, try day or a legs, back and by day? Le- chest, shoulder, try, legs, back and by. What kind of day should it be at the gym? Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked. Oh. Last one. What should I do on this math test? All right. What, what should I do next on this math test? Uh, what does it say, Bible? Uh, Genesis 9, 7. And God said, go forth and multiply. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A great example of why the Bible should not be read just all about you. It's all about him. If you read it the other way, you're going you're gonna to treat it wrong. And you're going to come away with a lot of really weird uh, theologies, as people have. Uh, here's another tip. Here's another tip. Is dive into the deep end first. 
Don't dive into the shallow end, dive into the deep end. What I mean by that is in Christian theology, in Bible history stuff, there's a deep end of the pool, meaning there is tons of consensus that people throughout the centuries have read the scriptures together and there's tons of consensus on so many things in the deep end of the pool. The big stuff of this is who Jesus was and this is why he came to die for us and this is how he rose again. There's all sorts of things. But then there's some things in the shallow end of the pool that are that are still being debated, right? So, like, for instance, gender roles. Gender roles. What are we, how are we supposed to read the Bible and take that context that they were in and bring it into our context? Big discussions. But if you're new to the Bible and you just dive right into gender roles, you're going to be so confused and there's going to be all these voices and, like, people disagreeing and you're like, it's going to cause you to, sit, to think, ah just, ah, just get rid of it. People can't agree. And that's why you're diving into the short end of the pool or to the shallow end. That's not a good idea. Dive into the deep end of the pool where there's tons of consensus. That's a great place to start. And then you can start to swim into the shallow end and start asking some of those big, important questions. Next, another tip that I have for the Bible is the the scripture is read better together. It's read better together. This I find to be perhaps one of the One of the roadblocks. And if you can just jump over this roadblock, perhaps it'll change everything. Because we tend, and and should you read the Bible by yourself? Sure, of course. Yes, reading the Bible by yourself, huge. That's great. You got these daily devotions. But sometimes I found as a pastor for doing this for a lot of years, I find that when you just try to do it by yourself, man, you just just get distracted. And then you start like, oh, I need to get milk, don't I? Oh, I need to go get milk. And then your brain starts going over here. And then you you try to, and you're just like, oh, I don't get it. And then you flip. And then you go back to that same part of the scriptures that you do know, like David and Goliath, you know? So you end up reading David and Goliath all the time because that's like the part that you get. And it just becomes like this humdrum thing. If there's a really great piece of advice, if you're starting new, is the scripture is read better together. Sometimes just getting it with a group of people and reading the same passage of scripture, and then you're just like asking questions about it and talking about it. It just makes the scripture come alive. Every Wednesday morning, there's a group of us guys at the muffin mill, 6.30. By the way, everybody, all the guys you're invited, come. We, our group is growing. We had to pull like, t- like two tables together, and it's great. You know what we do? We get together. We laugh. We high five. Good to see you. And then, we, and then uh, somebody's like, all right, we're going to read these two chapters. You just sort of read on your own. You don't even have to read all the two chapters. You can just read until you bump into something interesting and stop there and just like think about it. But people sort of do it just sort of on their own for just a few minutes. And then for the last half hour, it's like, man, what'd you get? And what was interesting to you? And suddenly people are sharing stuff and people are like, have all these, all these observations that I never read, I didn't even see. And I'm like, ooh, that's good. I'm writing that down. You know, that's going to show up in a sermon next week, you know? And so I'm like getting all this insight from other people. And then it's a great place to ask questions. Like this last week we read about when, when uh, Jesus takes Peter and James and John, they go up to this, to this hill and then there's, they have this moment where Moses and Elijah show up and Jesus Jesus and Moses and Elijah are having this conversation and we were just spitballing like what are Moses and Elijah and 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 Jesus talking about you know like are they like getting together and like I just say 15% by switching to Geico you know <laughs> like what like what kind of conversation are they having it's just interesting but it doesn't tell us really and so it's just like what man and so we just have these conversations the scripture comes alive in those areas maybe you haven't tried that yet Maybe that could be one of the things that could be a game changer for you. Um, my last piece of, of, of advice is keep at it. Keep at it. Don't get intimidated. Keep 
at it. Um, If you read 10 pages of the Bible a day, you will read the Bible in a year three times. 10 pages a day in a year, you will read the Bible all the way through three times. If you read just, uh, just a few pages every day, in fact, I wrote it down here. If you read about 10 pages just every three days, then you'll read through the Bible in a whole year. Just 10 pages every three days. And when you think of it that way, you're like, man, that's manageable. I, man, I, I could do that. Um, here's where I'm coming in for a landing. Here we go. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? I'll tell you why it matters. It matters because Christians tend to today, this is a broad generalization. In fact, Jenny, why don't you come up, come up here and I'm going to close, close this up. Um, in our day and age, Christians tend to be very malnourished when it comes to the Bible. We're very malnourished. You know why I use the word malnourished? Is because if you were to eat uh, one meal a week, you'd be pretty anemic, wouldn't you? Um, if, you uh, if you came to church and if you're depending on just the Sunday morning sermon to be your, uh, to be your Bible fix, your Bible fill, then that's, that's one meal a week. And uh, that's going to cause you to be anemic. But we all know that most of us don't come to church once a week. It's usually every two weeks or it's every three weeks or sometimes it's once a month. And so if we're depending on a meal every three weeks of the scripture to sort of be the thing that's sort of filling us, it's not enough. But in our, in our culture today, Christians tend to be very malnourished when it comes to the scripture. Um, some of you are not like that. Some of you have great habits you've built into your life. You read the Bible constantly. You've got these great habits. <sighs> Teach us. Help us. We want that. We need that. We need encouragement to do that. Help us learn what you learned. Because I know for many of you that have good habits, it started with a passion and then it turned into this devotion. And then it turned into this joyful habit. We want to get there because for many of us, man, it is a grind. It's hard to get there. Teach us how you do it because we need it. Listen, you need it. You need it. You need the Bible to get down underneath all the stuff that you think that you know about yourself and the things that you know about what you think you know about this world. And the Bible is going to illuminate. It's going to cut. It's going to be alive. It's going to work its way in. And it will change you if you let it. It'll lead you to Jesus. It'll lead you to the one that you ultimately need. You need the scriptures in you. Not only do you need it, but the world needs us to be in the scriptures. The world needs us to be. We believe that this, that Jesus and his message and that his word, that it's the, it's the truth, it's the living water that the world needs. It's that it, we, we believe that it's the hope. That's the only hope for wars to cease. That it's only hope for true forgiveness to be extended. And so Christians, we, or the world needs us to take it, to apply it, to let it be a part of our lives. And then last, you know who else needs us to be in the scriptures? Your kids need you to be in the scriptures. Your kids need you to. Because if you're trying to get your kids to value the Bible, but they don't see you valuing the Bible in your daily routine, in your life, whatever your life looks like, if they're not seeing it in you, it will be an uphill battle for you to get them to trust and believe and build their life on it. And so what are you doing? Because mark my words, your kids are being discipled by something. If they're not being discipled by you with a Bible in your hand, then they're gonna be discipled by Netflix and by an Xbox or by a PlayStation or by the other kids at school. They will will be discipled by something. 
And so you, we as parents, we have the opportunity to disciple our kids with the best thing, with the only thing that will really transform their hearts. We need this, we need this. So get re-engaged, get re-engaged. Next week, we'll take the ball down the field a little bit. I'm excited for this interview we're having, not with Salty. All right, I wouldn't do that. But come back next week. But hey, this morning, just as we're about to, about to leave, Hey, what if, you got, what if you got engaged for the first time with the scriptures? What if you just try it? Start with the book of John. It's a great place to start. Just start there. Don't start in Leviticus. Please, don't do it. All right? You'll be so confused. You got questions? You know, did you know that this is the perfect community of people just to wrestle with scripture stuff? I'm actually surprised at how little theological questions I get. Which is, I'm... I'm Hopefully that didn't sound mean or something. I'm just like, but I, I'm sometimes I'm surprised that sometimes I don't have more sort of like, man, what does this mean? I'm wrestling with this. I, those are great conversations. Let's go there. Let's talk. Let's, let's wrestle. Let's engage with scripture. Get engaged to the scripture.